This is Betty Wilde, and you're listening to part two of Whatever Shelley Wants, Shelley Gets, the Michelle Notek story. As little girls and boys, we look up at the glowing angel that gave us life with love and adoration. But for too many, this is not a happy reality. For many, the woman holding us is a true monster. These are their nightmares. Delve deep as we unravel the turbulent bonds between mother and child. You are listening to Monsters and Mothers with your host, Betty Wild. The girls were no longer safe as their mother regularly beat them with anything in sight. They grew accustomed to hiding heavy objects in the house, always looking over their shoulder and always wearing layers of clothing to help ease the blows as well as keep them warm when their mother would throw them outside in the middle of the night. Imagine for a second waking up in your home where you are supposed to feel safe and secure and then planning your wardrobe with the understanding that you might have to prepare for an attack. Never knowing what set their mother off, the violence increased and on one occasion, Nikki was being grabbed and swung by her mother, where she was suddenly thrown up against a wall, but this time Nikki's head landed on a nail that was sticking out from the wood. Her mother, without remorse, did nothing about it. To her, it was Nikki's fault she behaved the way she did. Left to heal her own wounds, Nikki stood and held her head in pain. She knew that saying anything would only make it worse. Nikki and Sammy wore baggy clothes to hide all the bruises at school and sport practices. Bruises that came from being beaten by electrical cords, knives, books, wires, Nikki and Sammy were living in a house of hell that wasn't just physical torment. Their mother would play mind games with them. On one unfortunate Christmas that they will never forget, it was the week before Nikki was locked in her room and being screamed at through the door that she was worthless by her mother, only to be let out on Christmas Day and Shelley would pretend they had a perfect family, and everyone would say it was a happy day, opening presents and eating a feast with all the trimmings. But that only lasted one day before the gifts were torn from their hands, and all of them returned. Shelley would scream at them and tell them how ungrateful they were and what bad children she had. One gift that was Nikki's favorite was a Cabbage Patch doll. Shelley hid the doll in the closet. Their mother would tape the doors so she could see if anyone had tried to go inside. Nikki didn't care. She wanted her doll. So she carefully removed the tape and would sneak into the closet to play with her, willing to take a beating just to hold her Cabbage Patch doll. Her doll's head was made of plastic and her eyes painted on. She wore a pretty dress and smelled wonderfully new. 
she wanted to be this adopted child by the famous maker Xavier Roberts. She wanted to be anyone else's child. Back then, this doll was one of the most coveted dolls. At the time, they were sold out everywhere, so if you had one, you were very lucky. Mickey wanted to be lucky, but this wasn't the worst Christmas the girls had. The worst Christmas the girls had was the one where the teddy bear pins went missing. They had both received teddy bear pins in their stockings. And after opening all their presents, Shelley asked them where the pins were. The girls immediately looked terrified at each other. Shelley had made them look everywhere, and when they couldn't find them, she beat them with an electrical cord, calling them selfish and ungrateful. She kept them up all night looking for these pins, and when they did find them, they became painfully aware that it wasn't them who lost them, but their own mother hid the pins because that's what Shelley wanted for Christmas, to have yet again another horror holiday where she could torment her children. Mental and physical torture was a daily occurrence for the girls, and now they weren't allowed to shower. Their mother had told them that the well had run dry, which was a lie. Their mother would say this even when they were living on city water. They even had to ask permission now to use the bathroom. Shelley truly enjoyed the torment she unleashed. Nikki remembered an incident when it was just all too much for her stepfather. She had walked onto the porch and as a wide-eyed child witnessed her father put a shotgun in his mouth. Tears were streaming down his face. He had endured one time too many of Shelley's berating attacks of how useless he was as a husband and father, and his resolve was empty. Painfully relieving her ugly words, filled with hatred, he managed, though, to regain himself, and he put the gun down. Nikki watched her father get up and walk off the porch, and he drove off in his truck. He never dared to fight Shelley, the love of his life, no matter how violent she was towards him, he remained compliant. Believing that this was just how families were, he knew better, but he also knew never to disagree with Shelley. Dave spent many nights sleeping in his truck, praying to God to hear him and rescue him from this nightmare. God didn't answer. He knew he had to stay for his kids, and even if he tried to take the kids and run, there was no escaping Shelley. Now, all settled in their new home, where things should have reset, it didn't. Instead, they escalated, to the point of nightly terror. No one was safe from Shelley. She would beat the children till they were bloody and one night pushed Nikki into a closet and kept kicking and punching the little girl. 
Nikki crying and begging her mother to stop, apologizing and never knowing what she had done wrong or what prompted the attacks that came without warning. Sammy and Nikki would huddle in bed for hours together, wishing they could fight back and make their mother disappear. They enjoyed this time creating magical scenarios that zapped their mother out of their lives. Shelley loved to decorate the home, but only the areas people were able to see from the road, or if they were able to peek inside the house. Everything had to appear perfect. One would have to believe with every inch of the walls filled with pictures of the children that she had to be a loving and devoted mother. Which is strange because then she knew what she was doing was wrong in order to have to create such a front. Shelley came up with a new game for her to enjoy. This game was called Wallowing. It was her way of showing everyone who was in charge as if they didn't already know. Wallowing was a mix of humiliation and physical pain. It only happened at night, and she preferred it to be done in the shittiest of weather. The colder and more dank, the more pleasure she would derive from it. She would go for Nikki most of the time, tearing her out of bed in the middle of the night, screaming and cursing at her to take off her clothes. Every tear Nikki shed brought a smile to her mother's face. She wanted Nikki to suffer. Nikki could apologize all she wanted. Her pleas landed on deaf ears. Shut the fuck up, she would scream. She even made their father play along and be the one who would hose Nikki down. He said nothing and just followed orders. Make her wallow, Dave. Teach her. Teach the pig. Dave was forced to verbally abuse the girls. The girls were both subject to wallowing at least three dozen times. They would be frozen to the ground in the deepest, coldest days of winter, fearing that they would die of pneumonia. They begged for death. It was always Nikki, though, that was left out there. Sammy was kept inside, dying, as she watched from her window her sister being tortured. She wished it were her, too. It wasn't fair that Nikki always got the torture, making it obvious who she favored. When she was done with Nikki, she would drag her up the stairs and throw her into a boiling tub of hot water. It was so hot that it felt like her flesh was falling off. This new game of hers happened dozens of times, so much that the girls lost count. The game would last 20 minutes to two hours. Always on their knees in the mud, always being hosed down while naked, and always Sammy watching the worst parts Nikki had to go through alone. Sammy was great at buttering her mother up. She knew what to say 
to get her to calm down and not beat her as bad as she did Nikki. She still got a heaping, but never as bad as her sister, and on many occasions, as much as it ate her up inside, she knew she had to throw her sister under the bus to save herself, and for that, she was always hating herself. Nikki tried to fight back and learned quickly that fighting back made the beatings worse. Her mother would whip her until she couldn't walk. Shelley purposely made the children remain apart and kept them from talking. Nikki learned to not fully trust her sister, knowing her mother enjoyed playing the favorites game. Sammy would be the only one to get lavish birthday parties with Baskin and Robin's ice cream cakes and plush toys, while Nikki got nothing. Nikki woke up in a stupor, not sure what day it was or how long she had been in the closet. She was locked in, and not just with a twist of a lock, which the door didn't have anyway, but with a large butcher knife lodged in the door frame. Nikki had spent the entire summer locked in her closet, banished like an old toy. No windows, no air, cut off from the world. She was given a bucket to do her business in, and it was the only time she was let out, was to empty this bucket into the toilet. Sammy would ask her mother why Nikki had to be in there, and she would always say, it was because her sister was bad. Sammy never believed that. Her sister was well-behaved, and the truth was that no matter how good any of them were, their mother would still lunge at them at any moment for any reason. As much as Nikki hated being in there, it was the one time she felt safe and not under constant attack. Her mother had kept loads of books in the back of the closet. Books that took Nikki away to new worlds that didn't have a hateful, abusive mother that locked them away, starved and beat them. It was her time of peace, her time to rest between beatings and humiliation. After being the family stowaway, Nikki was allowed out again and things would go back to semi-normal. Sammy was happy to have her sister back, remembering never to get too close or talk in front of her mother, or it could cause her mother to separate them again. Sammy had developed a sixth sense when her mother was about to go for Nikki again. She would tense up and leap out of the way as her mother ran after Nikki, pulling her by the hair, and this time she pushed Nikki so hard that Nikki flew through the glass kitchen door. Sammy's eyes just wide, and a cold sweat of fear ran up her back as she watched in horror her beautiful sister being attacked. Covered in cuts and blood, Nikki whimpered on the ground. Shelley, still with a belt in her hand, looked at what she had done. An uncharacteristic of her helped Nikki up while apologizing. To an onlooker, it appeared that she had woken up from a sick trance. Her words, however, were not as loving. Look at what you made me do. 
Shelley watched her daughter stand in front of her, dripping with blood. It was one of the few times that they had ever heard their mother say, I'm sorry. It was also the only time in Nikki's life that she made her daughter a warm bath. Not a scalding one meant to peel her skin, but one meant to soothe her. It was also the only time that Shelley took Nikki out to dinner. She also took her to get her hair done. Just her and Nikki alone. Nikki really did need to be seen in the hospital, but Shelley knew that she couldn't explain all the bruises and that she would surely get into trouble if anyone knew. So she did the next best thing. This would be any time anyone needed medical attention in the house. Shelley would pull out medical books and perform minor surgeries there in the house. Lara, their grandmother worried about the girls and were worried for the most part that they were keeping their distance from her. She would ask the girls if they were okay and they would lie knowing that the truth would only unleash hell on them if they told what was really happening. Then came Shane. Shane was Shelley's nephew. He was 13 when he came to live with the Notex. Shane's father was always in and out of jail and couldn't provide properly for his son. Shane needed some stability in his life. So grateful to his sister for helping out, Shane went to live with the Notex. The girls loved him. Nikki was 14 at the time and Sammy was 10. Shane was into rock and roll and loved Bon Jovi. He had dark hair and brown eyes. He was very playful and silly, and they got along well. The girls were more than grateful for the distraction it gave their mother. Shelley had collected money from the state to care for Shane, which was her real motivation here. And at first... She gave him a warm bed with fluffy blankets and new clothes for school. Shane really was a good kid. After the initial phase of Shane joining the family, he was soon treated like the rest. He had a list of never-ending chores, and Shane was instantly scared of Shelley and afraid to make her mad. The demands came more and more frequent, and all his comforts were taken from him. He no longer slept in a bed. He had to sleep on the floor. And next, he wasn't allowed to shower either, and it was only once every few weeks. On one of Lara's visits, she was appalled to see the condition that Shane was living in. His room was near the diesel heaters. The air was hard to breathe, and saw his bed was on the floor of an empty room. Demanding an explanation Shelley said she didn't have the money for anything extra for Shane, and Lara immediately offered her money to get Shane a bed. Shelley accepted the money, but it went straight into her pocket, and Shane never received a bed. In fact, there were times where Shane was told to sleep in the closet or outside in a cold shed. The kids only knew a world that was created by Shelley. So when Nikki would watch television shows, she would see the Brady Bunch living in a home filled with loving parents and knew that the children on TV had something she didn't have. 
a mom that took care of them and loved them. There was a time when her mother was loving, but it was a long-ago memory. Still, Nikki held on to it, hoping one day the madness would stop. Shane always brought up how crazy Shelley was and how they would both run away together. Nikki loved this idea and wondered if she even could. Shelley had this invisible hold, not just on her, but everyone. The abuse and humiliation began to escalate. Shelley found ways to embarrass them for her enjoyment as usual. She would make Shane and Nikki undress and dance slow together naked. Sammy was disgusted by her mother. She would have died if she were the one who had to do it. To further embarrass them, the father would be watching too. Dave just stood there while Shane and Nikki would be bawling in tears through the whole ordeal. Sammy hated that her dad did nothing but just sit there and watch. Shelley used nudity to keep them in a state of constant humiliation to break them down from developing any sense of self. They were now hers. Once again, out of the blue and made to strip naked, they were told to go out onto the hill, sitting back to back in the snow until she told them that they could come in. She would sit inside watching her shows with Sammy, which added to her trying to build a wedge between them by showing once again who her favorite was. Then silence fell over the Ladderback house again when Shelley announced another child would be coming soon. Everyone could feel a sense of sadness for this unborn child. It was 1988, the year of the dragon, and the top song on the charts was Faith by George Michael. They all tried to have faith that year. But unfortunately, things took a turn for the worse. Shelley had asked her friend Kathy to come live with them. Kathy was Shelley's maid of honor at the wedding and also her hairdresser. Kathy was struggling financially and Shelley thought it was a win-win if she helped her prepare for the new baby in exchange for a place to live. Kathy had recently lost her job, and the girls were used to Kathy coming over to do their hair, and they really liked her. Dave wasn't exactly happy that Shelley took in Kathy without even asking him, but he remained as always compliant and accepting that his word had no value. At first, like Shane, Shelley decorated Kathy's room to make her feel like she was part of the family. The girls at first saw it as a kind gesture that their mother was helping out Kathy. And Kathy saw Shelley as her savior, someone she looked up to and worshipped. Like cats lying in the sunny spot in the room, soaking up all the warmth, knowing it was very temporary, the girls enjoyed the show their mother put on for Kathy. They got to pretend that they were normal and that their lives were perfect. No hidden secrets shoved deep into their closets. Kathy felt very accepted into the family and enjoyed feeling needed. Then the curtain dropped and the show was over. The girls went from liking Kathy 
to realizing that their mother had trained her to just be another pair of eyes in the house, watching and reporting their every move. Their father sat on the couch for what seemed like a long time, staring off into space. Dave was amazed that Shelley could get pregnant. He was about to have his own child. It was a downright miracle that she could even get pregnant with all the chemo she was getting. He saw this baby as a miracle child, and he worked even harder to make her happy, and for a brief moment, he felt good about himself. But like a door slamming in his face, though, Shelley informed him that it was going to be Kathy taking her to the hospital, not him, and that he could follow along in a separate car if he wanted to. David felt crushed that Shelley didn't see him as important in their child's life. He wanted to resent Kathy, but after Tori was born, he didn't know how they could have done it without her. For Tori, her nightmare began almost immediately after taking her first breath in the house. Shelley had come running out of the baby's room, screaming that Tori had stopped breathing. She had to add how lucky Tori was that she was there to revive her. They rushed her to the ER. At the hospital, the nurses immediately took over. Afterwards, Shelley would say to the kids that Tori had a heart problem due to being born a week early. Tori had to be on a heart monitor. Nikki and Sammy were terrified of losing their baby sister. In the middle of the night, Nikki remembers the alarms would go off on the heart monitor, and this was happening almost every night. One night, the house was quiet, and Nikki had tiptoed down the stairs and looked out into the room below. It was dark still, but she could make out her mother standing over Tori. Her mother was holding a pillow over Tori's face. Nikki went cold. She was immediately taken back to a memory that she had, remembering the same thing had happened to her. Her mother just then turned and was surprised to see her standing there. She slowly put the pillow down and said Tori was okay now. But Nikki knew that the alarms had not gone off yet. She stood there silent as her mother covered her sister and walked away. Nikki leaned in closer, feeling for Tori's breath. She knew that she had to keep a close eye on her sister. It was foolish of her to think that her mother cared about any of them. It wasn't very long before her mother lost interest in Tori. Shelley just stopped being a mother. She watched TV at all hours and cared for no one. But still, in spite of her behavior... Dave still thought she was the best mother ever. One day, Sammy would get a visit from her real father, but his visit wasn't entirely a happy one. But it was one that gave her a deeper hatred for her mother. Sammy had fallen into a dark depression. Her father had swept in and crushed her, wanting to be honest with Sammy, wanting her to be aware of her mother, her father told her that when he was with Shelley, that he would come home after work after a long day and find her mother 
sitting on the couch, and she would sprint as soon as the door to the house opened to Sammy's bedroom, scoop her up, and hold her like she had been holding her all day. But he could tell, by Sammy's dirty diaper and the smell of rotting bottles, that Sammy had been ignored all day. He would see big rashes on her bottom, almost infected. He hated telling her this, but she knew it was true. It was Sammy's birthday party, and her mother went all out. It was a nice change of pace. The house was filled with food and laughter, cheer, and some resemblance to a happy family. By now, Sammy knew that the glitz would fade and that she would have to return to life as it always was. But for the day, all of that didn't exist. Today was her day. Even if in the back of her mind, she knew that this big show for her was just pregame for her mother. Shelley stood up in front of everyone and asked Sammy which present was her favorite. Sammy had opened all the presents, and before she could even realize that she was just delivered a loaded question, she slipped and said with so much glee in her heart that Kathy's gift was her favorite. No sooner did the words come out of her mouth than she could feel the clouds above their home part. Everyone was asked to leave. After the party had cleared, Sammy received the beating of her life. Her mother pulled out a belt and welted her, screaming at how ungrateful she was. It was after this that everything changed. Shelley started to mistreat Kathy. She began to despise her, and nothing Kathy did was ever good enough. At one point, she struck Kathy, and Kathy threatened to leave. But not having anywhere to go, instead apologized and the abuse just increased from there. Kathy would always speak glowingly of Shelley to anyone who called. Laura had telephoned, and she was trying to convince Kathy that she didn't feel like Shelley was really sick. But Kathy stood up for Shelley, saying, Oh no, she isn't doing well. She just can't talk right now. Lara was questioning if Shelley really did have cancer, after her last call. Shelley had stopped taking Lara's calls and continued on with her charade, avoiding Lara at all costs. Lara was concerned for the girls and was dead certain that Shelley was up to her old tricks of lying about being sick. She didn't believe she had cancer, especially after having all the details. No one is on treatment for this long so she decided to pay her a visit unannounced. Shelley liked to conveniently leave when she did tell her she was coming. Lara brought along Shelley's half-sister this time, Carol. When they showed up on Shelley's doorstep, they were met with a very surprised Shelley, who didn't seem happy to see them. As if getting into character, Shelley started with the lies, but Lara followed along, pretending to be very concerned. She even offered to help Shelley any way she could. She let them in and thanked them. 
Lara said she needed her doctor's name so she could find out what was going on and help pay the bills. But Shelley didn't like that. Lara straight out asked her how sick she felt after the treatments. And Shelley, getting into character, replied, really sick. Shelley walked to the bathroom and came back with a fistful of red hair. She said, look at all the hair I'm losing. Lara took the hair in her hands and said, that is so bizarre that you would be losing hair from the middle and not the scalp. Lara went into the bathroom and dug into Shelley's trash can, and sure enough, found the scissors with red hair still in it, and it was clear that she no longer believed Shelley. Shelley turned beet red and screamed at them both to get out. Shelley didn't let it rest. She knew she was caught, but she wasn't going to let them just get away with it. She went after Carol, deciding to start dismantling her sister's life. At the time, Carol was modeling for Nordstrom's. It wasn't a surprise that Shelley used that information to her advantage. Shelley decided to call Carol's job anonymously and say that her sister was a thief and that no one should hire her. After her acts of vengeance, she focused back on those in the house. Shelley had gotten wind that one of Nikki's classmates' moms had cancer and that they were throwing a benefit for her and a dinner to raise money to help her pay with the bills. Shelley stormed in, asking why the hell she didn't do that for her. Nikki sat there. She knew why, but it was better to keep that to herself. Her mother called her every name in the book. Still, she kept up her act of being sick and wishing she had a loving family that supported her. The Ladderback House was firing up again, and Shelley turned up the heat. Kathy, who was once a person that had friends and family in her life that cared about her, was now a prisoner living under nightmarish conditions, her freedom and dignity stripped from her. Nikki recalled, though, that this wasn't the first time she witnessed a confrontation with Kathy and her mom. She remembered when her mom was pregnant with Tori that the two had a fistfight outside and that her mother was winning. She had grabbed Kathy by the hair and threw her to the ground. She was kicking Kathy in the stomach all while she was pregnant. This would be the beginning of a nightmare that the kids were made to watch and at times partake in against their will. Shelley became outwardly abusive to Kathy, far worse than she had ever bestowed upon them. She would drug Kathy to get her to comply. She also began to starve her and took away all her rights as a human till Kathy no longer existed. She was made to sleep in the barn, naked and hungry. The kids would all watch as their friend and caretaker was abused, deep down wanting to help, but afraid that the abuse would turn on them. When Kathy first came to live with them, she was a bit overweight, super bubbly personality with shoulder-length curly brown hair 
that she loved to style and color all the time. After living with them for a few years, the old Shelley was gone. She was now emaciated with hanging skin. Her teeth were rotted and her body covered in bruises. And Shelley had shaved her head. Kathy did try and escape, but was chased after and found naked in the neighbor's shed. She was always too drugged to fight back, and in some ways she felt like she was getting what she deserved. On outings, Shelley would make Kathy jump in the back of the trunk naked while they went on picnics, to the beach, to the store, and even on road trips. The girls would sit in the back of the car, staring quietly at each other, pressing their ears against the seat to see if they could hear Kathy, hoping she was still alive. As cars passed them, they wished someone would stop them and see what was really happening to the woman in the trunk. The girls watched every step that led to Kathy's ultimate death. Kathy was gone. After so many blows to the head and lack of food, Kathy died. Shelley disposed of her body in the backyard. David was made to do the dirty work, and Shelley drove the girls to a motel to stay for the night. After, everyone in the house had to memorize a story that Shelley taught them in case anyone came around looking for Kathy. And if they forgot, punishments would be swift and harsh. Shane hated himself for fearing Shelley, for letting himself be forced to also beat and humiliate Kathy. He was scared. The day Kathy died, he went to take a picture of Kathy lying on the floor, in case he ever needed proof of what had happened. He made the fateful mistake of telling his only friend and confidant, Nikki. He told her about the photos that he had hidden. Nikki, frightened that he would tell and that the family would be torn apart, Nikki told her mother, and every day has wished that she could take it back. Once Shelley knew that she could no longer trust her nephew, she upped the abuse, and Shane was met with harsh treatment. Shelley never told him that she knew about the pictures. She did tell Dave that something had to be done and he couldn't believe what she was asking him to do. Kill her brother's child? After disposing the body of Kathy, he couldn't bear it, but knew if he didn't, it would be worse for them if the police ever knew what happened. After months of contemplation, when Dave came home from work, he followed Shane into the shed, picked up the shotgun, and shot him in the back of the head. When Nikki got home, Shane was gone. She couldn't find him anywhere. It was like he went missing. Shelley's behavior was very different this time. When there was no sign of Shane in the house, she told the girls that Shane left her a note and a gift, letting her know that he found a job in Alaska. Nikki knew deep down that this wasn't true. She tried to make herself believe it. But Nikki remembered all the times that Shane would run away and he would have made it 
if Shelley didn't gather everyone into the car and hunt him down to all ends of the earth like she was a bloodhound searching for him. She could find them anywhere they tried to hide. So for her to just do a mild search for Shane the day before this mysterious letter appeared didn't sit well with Nikki at all. She cried herself to sleep every night, fearing she had something to do with him going missing. Shane was never heard from again. Shelley had an expansive knowledge of forensics and made sure that letters that were written from Kathy to her family didn't have any of her prints on them. She had, of course, the girls write them, and Dave was instructed to drive to Canada to mail them. Shelley threatened the kids that if they ever told, she would tell the police that it was them that killed Kathy. With Shane gone, the violence escalated again for Nikki. Almost on the daily, her mother would lock her out of the house, and she would have to find a place to sleep, usually was out in the barn. She tried to be one step ahead of her mother by stashing some comforts outside, like a blanket or some food with matches. It was no use. Her mother would go in and remove all of it. She knew where to look. Her mother told her till it became a constant voice in her head that she was garbage and a loser and that no one would ever love her. Always berating Nikki, telling her that she was worthless and that she had to get a job. But there was no real way for her to get a job. She had no transportation, clothes, and she was being forced to take a shower by a hose outside. Shelley could give you whiplash with her mood swings. Bursting into the girls' rooms with so much excitement and love for no reason at all, she would comfort the girls, open the blinds, let the sun in, actually make them breakfast, all while telling them how much she loved them, only to take it all back again, leaving them in the cold, naked, scared, and traumatized. When Nikki was old enough to get a job as a dishwasher, it was something that she had that was hers, and it really gave her a feeling of being out in the real world, away from all the nightmares. Sadly, she lost this job, and her mother didn't handle this very well. After months of not being able to get another job, Shelley came at Nikki with a knife, threatening her. She threw her against the wall and had sliced her leg. Nikki looked down at her leg. Without emotion, they both had a moment when no words were spoken. Within a beat, Nikki bolted, and this time she was bolting for her life. Able to get away, she hid in the woods. The sheer torment of spending the night outdoors in the woods like an animal after your own mother stabbed you is just horrific. When Nikki came back to the house, the door was opened, and her mother was just sitting there watching TV like nothing had happened the night before. Nikki said nothing and walked to her room. 
The next day in the chicken house, Sammy had walked in on Nikki, sitting on a stack of hay, holding a rope in her hands, and the rope was attached to her neck. She saw Nikki laughing, but tears were coming down her face. Sammy asked her what was wrong. Around Nikki's neck was a noose that appeared to be snapped. I can't even do this right. Not knowing why her sister joined in on the laughter, but Sammy understood. She also tried and failed at killing herself. It was something the girls thought about on a daily basis. At least Sammy had friends. Nikki had no one. And now that Shane was gone, she was alone. Sammy's friends were relentless, though. They knew Nikki's mom was crazy, and they always came to the house to call for Sammy. Even when Shelley refused to answer the door, they waited, knocking, until Shelley would cave. And she would. She'd come to the door, all sweet, pretending she hadn't heard them knocking like lunatics. She would let Sammy go, afraid of ruining her reputation as a stellar mom with the school and Sammy's friends, which she never had. It was all in her head. Nikki really didn't have Sammy anymore. Her mother kept them apart so that she could fill Sammy's head with lies about how bad Nikki was. Sammy never believed her mother. She loved her sister and thought that she was one of the strongest people she had ever known. The two girls were growing up fast, and so was the youngest, who seemed to be spared all of the mother's rage and had no idea what was really going on. As with anything you push, eventually it will push back. And today was that day. Nikki knew she was bigger now and stronger. So when her mother came at her again and started swinging blows at her and pulling her hair, Nikki started hitting back and knocked her mother to the ground. Fuck off, Mom. Don't ever touch me. Shelley flew back, stunned. On the ground, she sat there in shock. She could feel the strength and how Nikki had grown. Nikki bolted out of the chicken coop and ran to the house, being chased by her mother. As she ran through the living room, she ran past Sammy, screaming, I just told Mom to fuck off. Sammy looked startled and, absorbing her sister's words, smiled. And for the first time, the girls had a win. Nikki ran out of the back of the house and into the woods. She slept out there, but this time she felt proud. After the incident, her mother sent her to live with her aunt. This is the moment you aren't sure if Nikki is feeling excitement or rejection right now. How would you feel? All your life, all you know is this. And for Shelley to give up on Nikki was like her own mother just dropping her off at her father's. But really, being in a new place was a dream come true. Away from the nightmares, the torture, the heartache of missing Shane, Nikki felt like it was going to be short-lived, 
and that her mother wouldn't let her go permanently. This had to be a trick. Trying to absorb the love her Aunt Trish bestowed upon her, it felt so foreign and hard for her to reciprocate or properly respond to. She was quiet and kept to herself, but enjoyed doing things with her aunt. It felt almost strange to be sleeping in a bed, not forced to sleep outside. After a while, she felt that she could trust her aunt. She sat there, staring at her. She couldn't help but think that this dream could end at any moment if she kept quiet any longer. She decided to come out and be honest about what was happening to her and her sisters. Nikki told her aunt, Bad things happen at home. Her aunt could see how difficult this was for her to say. Her aunt decided that it was best for Nikki to stay with her from now on. Her mother didn't resist. She was glad that Nikki was gone and didn't even want her name used in the house. Tori was hurt. Her mother didn't even tell Tori why her older sister was just gone one day. All her mother would say was that her sister didn't love her anymore. Tori didn't believe her mother, so she decided to pull out some paper in her room and wrote a letter to her sister. Then she went to sleep. When she woke up, she was being pummeled by her mother, punching and slapping her. Tori was only six years old, and her mother was demanding to know why she would write a letter to her sister telling her that she was mean to her. It was Sammy and Nikki's worst fear that their mother would start doing to her what she had done to them. With Nikki no longer living at home, Sammy would start daydreaming of leaving too. This wasn't her life. She wanted more than being randomly punished and abused. Sammy would do the dishes and daydream of when it was her turn. She threw down the sponge. She was getting out of here. Tori was quiet about what was happening. Sammy thought maybe her sister might escape this life without having to go through the hell the rest of them did. At the time, Sammy had a boyfriend. She was able to date, so that gave her some sense of self and freedom. Sammy had gone to the dance with her boyfriend, despite her mother refusing her to go. She went anyway and stayed out late. Sammy didn't care what it would cost her. She wasn't going to miss her dance. When her boyfriend dropped her off back home, Shelley opened the door to let Sammy in, just long enough for the boyfriend to think she made it inside okay. When his car pulled away, Shelley pushed Sammy back outside. You're sleeping outside. Sammy stood her ground. No, I'm not. It's cold, and you aren't going to make me. Her mother stood there at the door, stunned. While she was at the dance, she had played it over and over in her head what would happen to her when she got home. Instead of laughing and celebrating with her friends, Sammy was mentally preparing herself for her mother's attack. Sammy was a star athlete. She had lettered in the 400-meter run and the mile relay. 
and one thing she knew how to do was haul ass. Shelley had a glass of water in her hand and tossed the drink in Sammy's face. Before her mother could grab Sammy, she sprinted. Her boyfriend's house was a mile away, which was nothing for Sammy. Shelley jumped into the car and chased after her. Sammy knew exactly what her mother would do. She had made all of them get into the car with her any time one of her captives got away, so she knew her M.O. and was able to dodge and hide from her. She had made it. She won. At least it felt like a win, but knew in the end her mother would make this into something far worse. When Sammy returned, her mother had burned her admissions forms to Evergreen State College. Her own mother was destroying any chance of a future. She could feel the heat in her heart and the rage boiling inside of her. She wasn't going to stay in this house or this town for another second. Come hell or high water, she was leaving. Lauren, Sammy's friend, helped her hatch a plan. Sammy was going to pack all her clothes and belongings into garbage bags, and when Sammy gave her the go, Lauren was going to break into the house and grab all of her bags and put them in her car. Tori confused as to what her sister was doing, and Sammy not wanting to just disappear on her sister the way Nikki did, she whispered to her sister, If you don't see me later, I will leave a note for you under the pillow. Her mother had errands to run that day, and Sammy said she wanted to go with her to the store. Her mother was going to Aberdeen. It would be enough time for Lauren. Trying not to give herself away, avoiding conversation or eye contact with her mother, hoping she couldn't hear her heart beating. She wanted to throw up. She felt sick. This had to work. She couldn't take spending another second of her life with her monster mother. When they returned, Sammy ran up to her room and saw all her stuff gone. She felt fear and excitement surging through her. There was no turning back. The phone rang, and Sammy quickly picked it up. She shouted out to her mother that it was her friend Lauren and that she had run out of gas and needed to go pick her up. Shelley, not interested, didn't think anything of it. And just like that, Sammy took one look back at her house, got into her white little car, and drove away. Shelley walked past Sammy's room and saw the note on her bed. She noticed that the room was empty and all her clothes and everything was gone. I thought of all the reasons why I couldn't leave you, because I love you so much, and because I love you so much, I wouldn't want to hurt you. I started to think about the hurt and life and how much I hurt you, so then I thought it would be good for me to leave. Things would be quieter. Things got quieter when Nikki left. And with me gone, everything would be okay. 
it will be okay. If this is how it was meant to be, then this is how it was meant to be. I just wish you understood, but I know you never will. After Shelley read the letter, she reported Sammy's car stolen. Sammy was welcomed with loving arms into Lara's home. For the first time in her life, Sammy felt safe and could see her future. Now, with both girls gone, Shelley became paranoid. She didn't trust the girls to keep quiet, so she drove out to Trisha's house to retrieve Nikki, but Nikki refused. She no longer had to do what her mother wanted. She was an adult. This was unacceptable to Shelley. To Shelley, her daughters were loose ends. After Nikki refused to come with her, she started with throwing bricks into the window of where Nikki worked and reported to them that it was Nikki responsible for vandalizing them. Nikki had enough of her mother and called her grandmother, Lara, asking her if she could come to Bellingham to work at the nursing home. Lara was doubly excited, and she told Nikki that Sammy was with her. Nikki sighed relief that her sister was there. It was such a feeling of gratitude that they made it both out alive. But as you already know, Shelley always gets what Shelley wants. She managed to persuade Sammy to come back, that she would pay for her to go to college at Evergreen. Sammy thought long and hard. She figured that it wouldn't be that long and she wouldn't really be home, just on weekends and holidays. This she thought she could handle, and it would keep her close to Tori, which made Tori happy. All Sammy ever wanted to do was to go to college. Over the next few years, her mother kept on with the torment, but Sammy saw her getting worse, and this time her mother was saying that she had lupus, and she wasn't sure if this had also been a lie. Sammy couldn't take the lies anymore and needed to know. She didn't want to believe that she had a mother who would prey on her emotions like this, so she waited for her mother to leave the house and searched Shelley's bedroom for some kind of proof that she was sick. She found something that definitely proved her mother was sick, but a different kind of sick. Under Shelley's bed, she found a bag, and inside it looked like dirt, but when she sifted and looked closer, it wasn't dirt. It was bones. But whose? Was it Kathy's? Sammy wanted desperately to tell someone to tell the police what had happened, but she remembered the time when she confided in her boyfriend and his reaction. The two were in her dorm at Evergreen sharing truths, kind of like truth or dare, except just the truth. That is, until Sammy dared to be too honest. The two were drinking, and Sammy asked her boyfriend, what's the worst thing you've ever done? He told her something that in her world was like baby stuff. She went for the gold to blow him away. My mom killed somebody. Her friend Kathy, 
she moved her into our house, and Mom tortured her until she died. Her boyfriend turned white and ran out of the room. She chased after him, trying to say it was a choke, but could tell it was only making it worse. Okay, it's true. I'm not lying. She told him everything because she trusted him. But after seeing his reaction, she realized how it made her look like she was an awful person. She knew that Nikki had already confessed to Lara, and Lara believed her. Sammy knew also that they went to the police, and nothing was done. Sammy walked in on her mother sitting there, and, like her mother was psychic, asked her, I wonder if Nikki told anyone, you know, what happened? It's like she could sense what is happening around her always. Sammy pretended to not know what she was talking about. I don't think so, Mom. She then spoke up. You know, Mom, I'm not ever going to have a normal life because of what happened. I'll never be able to share this with my husband. It'll always be this big secret forever. Maybe if we told someone, it would be better. What good would that do? I don't think it's right that Kathy's family doesn't know what happened to her. Maybe we should tell the police. Are you fucking serious? Do you want to ruin your life? You never cease to disappoint me. Sammy had evergreen and only came back on breaks. During this time, Tori became her mother's target. She started with starving her and making her do chores naked and doing them outside. Tori was terrified of her mother and felt the pain even more now that her sisters were gone. At the time, Shelley was caring for an older man named Mac, who had put all his trust into Shelley, and she acted like the loving caregiver, coming over to clean and cook for him and help him care for his dog. Her motives purely to cash in when he passed away. She made sure his life was going to be short-lived. Back at the house, she took in another boarder. With Tori being the only child in the house, she was free to do what she wanted. That was until the girls heard he was living in the house. Ron was a jolly gay man that loved Shelley and was, like Kathy, so appreciative for the help. He did anything she asked him to do. Ron's family, over time, became concerned when there were clear signs that his health was degrading. Shelley couldn't help but torture anyone who entered her web. Over time, Ron also lost a tremendous amount of weight. She drugged him and made him sit in the car for long hours. He also had to sleep outside naked in the shed. And he was forbidden to talk with Tori. And Tori really liked him and didn't like the way her mother was treating him. She wished she could tell her sisters, but knew that her mother would make it worse for both of them. Tori kept her thoughts in a journal. 
I know that sometimes it might seem like I don't understand you or that I just don't want to, but that's so wrong. I always can understand you and I will always want to. I am just sick of me disappointing you and dad so much. I know this is all my fault. She knew deep down her mom loved getting pleasure from other people's pain, and that was really hard for her to admit. She would see her mother yelling at Ron while he begged on his knees outside. You are going to stay out there until I hear you cry. And even after he apologized, she would say he was good for nothing. And when he did cry, she would just call him a faker. Tori asked if she could help Ron, and her mother would tell her that Ron was very, very bad and had to be punished. Shelley would tell Sammy that Ron was living with them temporarily and that she was just helping him get on his feet and couldn't wait for him to leave. After Ron tried to escape, she sent him to live with the old man to take care of him. This was all part of Shelley's plan. She would tell anyone within earshot that old man Mac was like the father she always wanted. He was found toppled over on the ground, and Ron knew what Shelley had done. But at that point, he was so scared of her that when she said that no one would believe him and that she would say it was him that killed the old man, he believed her. She made him so paranoid that they would come and arrest him that he kept hidden from sight. After a call to her mother to check in, Sammy felt it in her gut that there was something wrong. Could her mother really be doing to Ron what she had done to Kathy? Her mother had also ranted on about how awful it was when Kathy was there, that she felt so bad for her and that it was a terrible thing that Nikki and Shane did the way they treated her. Sammy was in shock. Her mother wanted her to believe what she clearly witnessed for herself, that someone other than her was responsible for what had happened to Kathy. And she was even capable of blaming her own kids. Her mom then said, I feel horrible for what this has done to you. I'm so sorry. It won't ever happen again. I promise. If anyone ever found out, your dad and I would kill ourselves so you don't have to live with it any longer. Sammy called Nikki to tell her that Ron was living at the house. Nikki freaked out and called her mother and left a message. I know there is a man living there, Mom. You need to get him out of the house before history repeats itself. This thought would haunt Sammy for a lifetime, wishing she didn't make light of something she clearly knew could only end the way it ended for Kathy, unless they said something. Ron was terrified of Shelley. Now a decade after Kathy's death, Ron was now dead. Their mother had told everyone he had moved out and found a job. She also told Ron's family, and they didn't seem to believe her. Their parents had killed multiple people, unspeakable torture right under their nose. Nothing could or would ever erase the memories. 
Sammy didn't understand why the police hadn't followed up after Nikki and Lara went to the police the first time. One afternoon, Shelley had gone to get her mail, and when she sifted through, there was an envelope addressed to her. Her face turned white, and she ran to the house to call Dave to come home. The letter had no sender. All it was was postmarked in Olympia, Washington, April 18th, 2003. The letter read, The gunshots you heard last night were from Kathy. Like the Lord Jesus Christ, she also arose from the dead and is back to revenge you. Ashes to ashes. Shelley knew the walls would soon come crashing around her. Her paranoia increased, along with her weight. She was beginning to pack it on. Someone was watching her and wanted the truth about Kathy. She had heard the gunshots the night before when someone shot out a neighbor's security light. She tried again to bring the girls back home. She felt that one of them had betrayed her. Sammy was now working as a teacher in Seattle. She tried to calm her down, promising that no one had said anything, which was a lie. You would think with everything going on that she would have let Ron go, but instead she saw him as a liability, and she had made him climb onto the roof and jump off the roof multiple times. Tori had snuck in the back of the house to see what was going on, and she saw that Ron had landed, and it looked like he had broken his leg. She remembered that her father just stood there, not doing anything about it. She remembered seeing how scared Ron was, and she saw the bottom of his feet, that they were bloody and torn up, and he was just laying there wearing underwear. Afterward, her mother would go and get boiling water and bleach and throw it onto Ron. It smelt like Ron was rotting. His skin was peeling off. When Sammy heard that Ron had been suicidal, and that's the reason why her mother took her to old man Mac's house, she didn't buy it. She knew Ron was dead. He looked like death the last time she saw him. There was no way he was able to be on his own. Sammy had to protect her younger sister and set things right. Then an odd thing happened. All of a sudden, her mother called her and said Tori should visit her. She couldn't believe it. This would be the first time ever that she let Tori out to be with her. Sammy called Nikki. She had to keep it a secret, though. They weren't allowed to see Nikki or their mother would be upset. When Shelley dropped Tori off, her hands were swollen. Sammy could see that she had gained a lot of weight and had lost her teeth. She looked crazy. After her mom left, she took Tori to have sushi for the first time. Tori sat there as her sisters asked her how she was really doing. Tori told them the truth and was surprised that her sisters went through the same punishments. Does she make you do things naked? Lock you out all night? Tori nodded. Sammy cried and held her sister. 
Why didn't you tell me? They asked about Ron, and Tori could see it in their eyes that they knew Mom was doing bad things to him. She asked how they knew, and they told her that this had happened before, but with Kathy. They told her Mom killed Kathy and burned her body in the backyard. Her sisters told her that they were doing everything that they could to get her out of there. She believed them. By now, their mother was telling people that she dropped Ron off at a bus stop and that he moved to San Diego for work. After Tori went back home, Nikki and Sammy went to the police again and told them that they had to hurry, that their sister was in great danger. The police had the case already opened and were waiting for all the pieces to fall together. They had just brought in Dave to question him, and he at first tried his best not to betray Shelley. He was more afraid of her than the police. He was there for hours, and he finally admitted what he had done and his role in shooting Shane. It was over. He finally felt relieved for it to be out. Ten months after her arrest, Shelley entered an Alfred plea of guilty to the charges, which means it allowed her to plead guilty and still remain innocent. The Alfred plea, unlike many plea bargains, didn't require her to tell the courts what she had done. Shelley did get to speak, dressed in an orange suit. In this community and everywhere else, I am known as some kind of a monster. I am not. I've made such horrible mistakes, though. Kathy was my friend. She had value and she had purpose. She would have been there for me. I wasn't there for her a lot. I was not there when Kathy died. Shelley pointed at her kids, claiming that they were the ones responsible and Kathy's real abusers. I do not believe that I am guilty of murder or deliberately causing her death. But a mother is most responsible for her home environment. She was mistreated in my home, and now she's gone. I'll never get over it, and I don't deserve to. Shelley only received 22 years in prison and will be actually released in June 2022. I am very troubled that this woman got away with murder. 22 years? She deserves two life sentences. She caused the death of four people and brutally abused her children. I pray for the safety of her family upon her release, which, as of this recording, will be next month. This is Betty Wild, and you are listening to Monsters and Mothers. Thank you for listening to Monsters and Mothers. Subscribe to hear more chilling accounts of mothers who commit unspeakable horrors.